Hello, I'm Richard Hurley, the BMJ's Features and Debates Editor. Today we're talking about this week's head-to-head, which is about the NHS's purchaser-provider split, an internal market between care purchasers and care providers that has existed in the NHS in England since Thatcher's days. I'm joined on the phone by Michael Dixon, a general practitioner from Devon and pioneer in local commissioning, and uh, Alan Maynard, an economist at the University of York, who's followed the issues since the 80s. Michael Dixon, might you explain briefly to the BMJ's readers what the purchaser-provider split is, and why is it a good thing? Well, what this did was to make uh, providers, whether in hospital or community services, responsible to a purchaser who would decide whether they were providing the sort of service that was required, uh, discuss with them how it might be improved, or indeed how its configuration might be changed. Um, And this was very different from, if you like, orders coming from the centre and people being told what to do, uh, and there being committees which weren't very accountable at regional or national level. Further, and this is the bit that interests me most of all, it allowed the frontline clinicians like myself, GPs and others, to have a say in what local services we had. Previously, we simply had what was dished up to us and our patients. So you really see it as about bringing uh, decisions to local level? It's about making decisions more local. It's about clinicians being in the driving seat of what services uh, we have locally. Um, And it's about engaging patients in in, in that debate, yes. Alan Maynard, I mean... In your piece, you say that you agreed in the 1980s that the NHS needed incentives for efficiency, perhaps competition. But now you say that the the purchaser-provider split uh, split is an interesting experiment best abolished. Do you want to... Can you expand on that? Yes, surely. Um, The initial enthusiasm we had in the late 80s and 90s assumed that we would have much more rapid development of information systems. But here we are, 30, 40 years later, and we still don't know what GPs do. There's no national data set. We've got hospital episode statistics, which tell us what doctors do in hospitals, but it's very poorly utilized in routine management. For you to have a market develop with purchasers and providers, given the complexities of comorbidities, you want very good information about what is going on. And we failed to provide that information. And to fund it now, we really need to think radically within a very fixed budget constraint and say, well, can we really afford this purchase of provider split and the CCGs? Maybe we should shift the money and put it into better information so that clinicians can be truly independent and truly manage their practices. What do you think about that, Michael? There's not enough information. And it's I think I, I think Alan's absolutely right. There isn't sufficient information, but uh, of course that's a problem. Whether you've got a purchase to provide a split, or you are simply trying to run a health service from Whitehall, um, uh, either way, you're acting uh, from a position of incomplete knowledge. Um, I would dispute, though, that uh, the split is expensive. I think compared to the, uh, the transaction costs in any other system where, where you've got social insurance or where you've got uh, American-type systems, you've got transaction costs that are way excess of anything we spend in this country. In fact, I, I would say that one of the problems of clinical commissioning is perhaps we haven't actually put enough into it to make it effective. 
Well, I think that's an interesting argument. I think the best guesstimates of the actual regulatory and transactions costs in the NHS are very much higher than what the government tries to convince us it is. The government tends to say it's about 4 or 5% and we're a very cheaply regulated system, and that is absolutely erroneous. If you really measure carefully what the transaction costs are, we're up at about 14 or 15% of the NHS budget. But, you know, it's like measuring charcoal and chalk, chalk and cheese. What is a regulatory cost and how you get them comparable across countries? Ours is much more expensive than it is thought to be. Um, I agree that we do have high regulation costs. Um, but, you know, the, the, you're talking about CQC and, and uh, the NHS improvement and, and a lot of those costs uh, uh, rather than, if you like, the frontline clinicians commissioning in CCGs. And, and I suppose, Alan, the question I'd want to put to you is you took on the chairmanship of a clinical commissioning group, um, but uh, now feel this about clinical commissioning. Was it because you felt that, in fact, in retrospect, the whole idea was wrong? Or was it that, if you like, you felt that your CCG was failing in commissioning? Or did you feel it was set up to fail? I think the problem with the clinical commissioning groups was there was a long learning curve. There was an assumption that GPs could move out of their surgery and become clinical managers. And that's an expensive process of changing people's attitudes and behavior. And that was slow to take root. There was also far too many of them, two over 200. And there was no attempt to actually measure what was going on and improve things. And so there's this focus on procurement, which you say, quite rightly, has been less of an advantage for anybody. But my general feeling of the CCGs was, again, they weren't gripping the information. And it would be much better to concentrate the information management in one place, that is, not have the purchaser-provider split, and to really exploit what is we got of the existing information and improve that information stock so that clinicians can do their job more efficiently. Um, yeah, but I would argue an awful lot of that information is very local, and often it's in the back of the mind of clinicians like myself rather than on paper and statistics. That's, for instance, I, I know where our neurology service is breaking down. I know what are the problems about getting a patient into some sort of residential accommodation on a Friday evening when they're no longer able to get to the loo or to their bed. And, and a lot of that is, is local information and having centralized information uh, and putting it on, on, on spreadsheets, actually, uh, lo uh, you lose the richness and you lose the real changes that need to occur and what lo local services are doing. I think with good information systems, you can manage the system in the way you want to. I always remember Roy Griffiths when he was at Sainsbury's in the 1980s. He used to go in every day and he knew what every store had sold. And I can see no reason why we can't have information systems like that so that you turn up for work and you see what your urology problems are. You see what your elderly bed blockers are doing. That sort of information is needed. And of course, it's for local decision making. But we also need comparative information in order to see the variations. We've been going on for 30 years, 35 years now, talking about variations in clinical practice and how we could save an enormous amount of money if we could mitigate those variations. But we've had little success, in part because of the poor information and the poor follow-up of information, and in part because uh, the system doesn't really incentivize people to do those changes. 
And what we need is good management systems and collaboration between clinicians and managers to get that change. Well, I have to agree with a lot of that, but I still think that uh, this does need to be done locally, and I think some of it is, uh, as I say, feedback from your clinicians and local patients. Um, but uh, one issue, and you do point it out, and I think it's a really serious issue, is, is about how you get uh, clinical leadership in this, uh, given the other priorities in general practice. So, so my case would be the actual model's fine, but the way it's been uh, actually implemented, and, and you're right about information, but I'd say payment by results has been a, a big issue, uh, as has the top-down heavy performance management of CCGs, uh, as has all the rules that have really favoured the old providers against commissioners and, and weaken their ability to, to make an impact. But if we get that right, I still think the split could work. Yes, well, hope springs eternal. I mean, I agree <laughs> that a lot of decision-making has to be made locally. That's not a problem. Mm. I'm agreeing with you on that. So could that still happen without the purchaser-provider split, Alan, lo- truly local? Now that's my argument. Making. You just don't really need the purchaser-provider split mm. to do that. You could actually remove the purchaser-provider split, free up hundreds of millions of pounds, and do all sorts of things with information systems and improve clinical care. Um, well, if we did that, we might return to the sort of situation I had in Devon uh, 15, 20 years ago, where the waiting time for uh, an acute knee was 18 months, uh, where there was no way of changing it. But with the uh, purchaser-provider split, our locality commissioning group said we were going to simply go elsewhere. Uh, and suddenly, our local hospital that had said it couldn't be done in less than 18 months because they didn't have time, place, and operating time, suddenly they were offering a two- to four-week acute uh, knee service, just like the people we were about to put a contract with. If you haven't got well, that I mean, sort of there's challenge... lots of things like this, but, you know, mm-hmm. what we know mm-hmm. is that terror by targets worked. When we set targets and measured the target's performance, we cut down the waiting times. They're being eroded now because of funding problems. But you didn't need CCGs or you don't need the purchase provider split to do that. You need good targets, good information and rigorous management. But targets are old thing, aren't they, Alan? Targets uh, are gamed by everybody. Uh, you end up with they the are gamed, letter being but then kept. If you have transparency, you can cope, cope with that. I mean, the last 20 years we have seen, or well, the last 15 years, we've seen major improvements in hitting those targets, as everybody would, all patients would tell you. Yes, we have, but we've also seen a lot of money going into that at the same time. And, uh, and of course, now uh, targets are being missed um, simply because there isn't sufficient money and we haven't really uh, changed the game sufficiently to make better use of the few people, resources and hospitals we've got. Uh, and that, that's where I think commissioning comes in. It's not about... Well, that's where I think commissioning is redundant because if you got rid of the commissioning, you'd free up resources to hopefully stabilise the waiting times. But, but, but commissioning is really about planning. It's about reconfiguration. It's about doing things a bit differently. And fundamentally, probably... Yeah, well, that's where it's failed, surely, Mike, because commissioning has failed to get integrated care. We've still got primary care, secondary care, and social care. There's been no integration of care because people have maintained their own incentives and budgets in the most thoughtless way. Uh, well, yes, because the rules have made them do. You know, we've, we've got a tariff which encourages activity in hospitals, which necessarily has meant that we have uh, put all the money into hospitals. We've increased our consultant population in Korea mag- magnificently, but general practices and primary care have been totally static. So, so but, but why hasn't the, haven't the commissioners developed integrated care? They've had decades to do it. They've failed to do it. 
And that's well, really essential to break down these barriers so that patients get a better deal. Well, well, the commissioners haven't been able to because they have not been integrated themselves. They've had primary care commissioned by NHS England, hospital care by CCGs, and tertiary care by NHS England. Now, um, NHS England has bust its budgets on tertiary care, which means money goes into that. Prime payment by results has meant that hospitals have attracted uh, uh, activity, and when they have deficits, they get paid off. Meanwhile, poor old primary care has had the dregs, and what's more, as a general practice, I have to make ends meet, so I can't go into deficit, and no one's going to pay them off. So we have a rotten system within which commissioners have been asked to try and sort at a time when the money's all run out. It's a very impossible job, but it's one that could be done, I think, if the rules were changed. And how would you change the rules then, Michael? You get rid of payment by results. If you look at any economy that's working where hospitals is in surplus and the CCG is in surplus, they've got rid of payment by results entirely. You stop commissioners having to uh, fulfil all sorts of of silly um, uh, bureaucratic rules in terms of competition, putting things out to tender and all that sort of rubbish. Um, You also uh, create a system where the uh, commissioners uh, are are regarded, if you like, as the planners rather than simply putting things out to tender uh, and having beauty contests. You you restore the heart and soul of commissioning, which is about frontline commissions being able to uh, make their local services better, joining with patients and populations saying, how can things be improved, getting secondary care and providers into the same room and agreeing on a, a, a way forward uh, and then actually doing it. But unfortunately, those conversations seem to somehow got lost in the uh, bureaucratization and marketization of commissioning. Is there an ideological aspect to this, Alan? Um forcing competition into to everything. There is. I still think there are people on who, who think that more competition, more privatisation can improve resource allocation. But again, they live in an evidence-free world and the ideological <laughs> people go on. Yes. Um, but I, I have problems with Mike as well. I mean, if you're going to abolish payment by results, what are you going to have? Bundled care, block grants like we used to have. I, I find none of his arguments convincing about what commissioners can do because we just don't see that they have done those sorts of things. Well, well, actually, there have been successes, Alan. I mean, if you go to Bromley-by-Bow, where you've got strong clinical leadership by someone like Sam Everington, you've got uh, a, a real revolution in terms of what's offered uh, in, in local care because what commissioning should be about is basically about uh, establishing more uh, care closer to home, which is not only nice for patients, but it's also cheaper uh, and less use of hospitals. And, you know, social prescribing in there and in Gloucestershire CCGs, for instance, now the norm. And and, and many have uh, uh, emergency assessment centres that, that stop people going to hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So there have been successes, but uh, they've been largely uh, by people who had to break the rules. That just says to me, you don't need CCG. You just need to integrate the lot. Well, you don't need CCGs in the sense of putting out large tenders, uh, going out to competition, all the rest of it. You do need CCGs in the sense of primary care clinicians signing up to your secondary care managers and clinicians and saying, this is what we need, this is what's not right at the moment, this is how it can be improved. Yes, but why uh, do you need them in separate organisations? Why don't you just have one organisation and say, we don't need the purchase of provider split? 
because history tells us that when that happened, and I, I sat on the health authority in the old days, I was on its district management team 30 years ago as a GP, and no one listened to us. I can remember 30 years ago, too. They were pretty hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Alan, how would you actually get rid of the purchaser-provider split? Well, as I argued in the BMJ head-to-head, I think you don't do it quickly because the redundancy cost and pension cost will be horrific, like with Lansley's reforms. So you slowly go in for evolution of people saying, well, do we really need these organizations? Can we merge them? Can we take people out of the jobs? Can we have a much slimmer organization and free up resources to actually spend on clinical care and better management of clinical care? So I'd go for an evolutionary approach and one which is carefully thought through. And that's what I think NHS England should do, should allow people to actually abolish the purchaser-provider split gradually over time and see what we get from it. And I think, I agree with you about evolutionary, Alan. I wish we'd been allowed as commissioners over 20 years to evolve. We haven't. We've repeatedly been given models, sometimes half right, sometimes a quarter right, and never allowed those models to more than a few years to develop. So I think that's been the great issue. But, okay, if it was abolished, um, I think the, the way forward would be then to say to local economies, to um, uh, probably the STP areas even, to the hospitals, the community trusts, the uh, GPs, all the health services locally, this is your budget. You work within that as providers uh, and as an integrated care organization. And so, if you like, you become the, co- the, the, the sub-commissioners or effective uh, integrated providers and then you'd have, I don't know, something like uh, 60 or 100 organizations nationally, which could then be uh, effectively run by the Department of Health or NHS England. But uh, um, I think that would be less good than developing commissioning. Do you, do you have anything, anything, any last words, anything to add, Alan? Uh, that's a fair fine from my point of view. Michael, very you, nice to talk to Mike. Michael, do you uh, have anything you'd like to add, just final well, words? Well, I- I would say if, if Alan's an evolutionist, I don't think it would be oiled by ending the purchase provider split. I think keep it and let's see who wins. You can read the whole debate on the BMJ.com and let us know where you stand on this issue by sending a rapid response. Many thanks for listening. <laughs>